Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. God bless you, and I thank you for tuning in. Today we are in the book of Revelation. We are in Revelation 19. We will probably be here for some time because this is one of the best, most exciting, and most important chapters in the entire book of Revelation. And it just, for the most part, gets better and better from this point, although there are a couple of other sad things that we will have to face in these final chapters. So today I'd like to begin by reading Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, and we're going to focus on verse 12 today. Verse 11, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Today I want to focus on verse 12 of this section. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Let's look at what this verse tells us. So in verse 12, we begin to hear more of the details that God has chosen to reveal in this chapter, describing the victorious, conquering King Jesus, the rider on this kingly steed. His eyes are like a flame of fire, somewhat described like a blaze of fire, or perhaps even like lightning. I want to look at a couple of places real quick. One is in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14, because the Bible defines itself, Scripture interprets Scripture, and so we find other correlating passages that tell us this is Jesus. In verse 14 of chapter 1 of Revelation, it says, talking about Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the one that is giving these revelations, the one that is writing the letters to the churches, the one that is John sees the risen Lord in chapter 1. And it says this, His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. We also see this revealed to us in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 10, beginning in verse 4, we also see this description of the Lord appearing to Daniel. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. 
His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Daniel is seeing the Lord in this vision, and he describes him similarly to what he has described in other portions of his book, and what John describes in Revelation chapter 1, etc. He's talking about this man, girded with gold of Ephaz, his face being like the appearance of lightning and brightness, and his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and his feet like burnished bronze in color. Bronze was a color in the scripture that represented judgment. His arms and his feet, the Lord Jesus, had his hands and his feet nailed to the cross in the judgment for your sin and for mine that he took upon himself. The sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And we've already seen that correlating in Revelation as well. So we have this image that his eyes are like a flame of fire. He is the one who can search. He is the one who sees clearly. And he is the one who is able to judge with eyes that are like this flame of fire because he judges rightly. When he comes, he will judge with righteousness. It says that on his head, in other words, upon resting on his head are many crowns, many diadems. There's a couple of different words used in the scriptures for crowns, but this is the diadem. It's the king's crown. He is clothed and he is wearing on the top of his head many diadems, many kingly crowns. It's interesting that it says that he is wearing many crowns. As I thought about that, I wanted to bring out these various points. And I'm not saying that any one of these are necessarily what this means, but I find them all interesting. And I believe that actually all of these will fit. First of all, he is the only one who deserves to wear a king's crown. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, we're told later in this passage in Revelation. He's the only one worthy. He's the only one deserving of a kingly crown, of a diadem. Secondly, I thought about it and I thought, well, maybe this might even include our crowns that we had received from the Bema seat and are now or have now laid at his feet in recognition of his worthiness, in recognition of the fact that any reward we have earned has only been because of him. It's only been because he bought and paid for us and redeemed us. He uses us. He blesses us. He has loved us. And he has gifted us with these abilities and with these callings to serve him. And whatever fruit results from it, it's all to the glory of God. He's the one that deposited it in us. He's the one that's responsible for it ultimately. So we don't perhaps even keep our crowns. Maybe, I don't know. We don't know until we get there how all of this is going to work out. 
But we do see in the scriptures where the elders bow and cast their crowns at his feet. We see them doing that in Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. It's in recognition of his worthiness and the fact that it's only because of his work in and through us that we've even earned any form of reward. And it doesn't belong to us. The glory does not belong to us. It belongs to him. So maybe it's our crowns that we have laid before his feet that are also a part of these many crowns. I don't know, but I do believe that the scriptures do indicate that we will recognize he is the one worthy and that he has been the one responsible for any good that we have done. And thirdly, what about this? Maybe he wears these many crowns because he actually is represented by many different attributes and titles in his kingship. For instance, I just want to point out some that we see in the scriptures, and there may be others. This is just a list of the ones that I thought of and wrote down. He is the priest king, the only true priest king. We have that found for us in Psalm 110, verse 4, and in Zechariah chapter 6, verse 13, that Jesus is the king priest. He is after the order of Melchizedek, who I also have written down because Melchizedek in Genesis 14 and especially in Hebrews 7 verse 2 is called the king of righteousness. Jesus is the true king of righteousness. There's many reasons to believe that when Melchizedek appeared to Abram in Genesis 14, that Melchizedek actually was in fact, a precarnate appearance of Jesus. We know that there were a few of those. One was in Joshua chapter 5, when the captain of the armies of the Lord comes and sees Joshua and talks with Joshua. That was one of those times. We know that there's been a few of those pre-incarnate appearances. I personally believe that the scriptures indicate that Melchizedek was one of those. So he is king of righteousness. He is king of peace, according to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 2. He is the king of glory in Psalm 24. He is the king, the most high God, the king or priest of the most high God, also revealed in Genesis 14. I want to read this passage in 1 Timothy. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we have a few other identities or titles that will also apply to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to read in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want to begin to read in verse 12 and read through verse 17. Because I want you to understand the context of who this is speaking of. In 1 Timothy 1, beginning in verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy 
because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 17 here, Paul identifies the king in this passage speaking about Jesus as the king eternal, the king immortal, the king invisible. And then he speaks of him as being the wise king, the wise God, the king of kings even, suggest here in Revelation 19 and in other places that he is an overarching sovereign. His rule is an overarching reign. He rules his empire, his kingdom, as sovereign. I want to read a few passages that tell us that. I first want to look into 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to begin the reading in verse 13. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power, Amen. So he's speaking of the Lord Jesus here. He is also speaking of God the Father as well. Hallelujah. And he is speaking of the holiness of God in this passage as well. But he is called the blessed and only potentate, the sovereign. He's talking about a ruler with great authority, great power, great might the blessed and only potentate. He is the king of kings. We see that here in Revelation. We'll talk about that a little bit more in another episode here shortly. But I want to pick up a couple of places from Daniel, and we will revisit these in a coming episode when we discuss this in more detail. But even here, I want to just point these out because he is the king crowned with many kingly crowns. I want us to read in Daniel chapter 2, verse 37 and verse 47. In verse 37 of chapter 2, it says this, You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the fields and the birds of heaven and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. 
you are this head of gold. So Daniel is now explaining to him about this statue that he is seeing. And he's explaining specifically about King Nebuchadnezzar being the head of gold, the Babylonian kingdom being the head of gold. But notice what this tells us about king of kings. Because at that time, humanly speaking, Nebuchadnezzar was also called a king of kings. Notice that with a king of kings, God in heaven gives the kingdom power, strength, and glory. And notice that it is rulership over all. Rulership over all. This gives us the prototype for the understanding of king of kings. Then later, in verse 47 of that same chapter, Let's begin the reading in verse 46, because now King Nebuchadnezzar is responding. And it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. So in Nebuchadnezzar's response, he realizes in this that God is the true and living God, and he is the Lord of kings. I find that very interesting. Also in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, we have specifically identified here as well as another witness in the scriptures that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Revelation 17, verse 14, we've already looked at this before, but let's read it again. It says this, These will make war with the Lamb. That's Jesus, the Lamb. And the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. Jesus is the King of kings, of all kings, worthy to wear many kingly crowns, many diadems. He's all of those things that we discussed. He's the only one worthy in the first place to wear a king's crown. He is the victor. He is also perhaps even wearing our crowns that have been given over to him in recognition of who he is and what he has done, because it's truly not anything that we've done, but it's his work in us and through us. And perhaps he is also wearing many crowns because he is the king of righteousness, the king of peace, the king of glory, the king of kings, etc. He is all wrapped into one the blessed and only potentate, the sovereign Lord. Hallelujah. It's interesting also when you consider that here on earth in his first coming, he did wear a crown then, but it was called a crown of thorns. He took upon him even on his forehead the curse of sin in the fact that it was a crown of thorns and the thorns represented the curse of sin all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. He was crowned then with a crown of thorns. They thought it was a mockery. They thought that it was an insult to him. But in fact, 
I personally believe it has a connection to the holy crown or the mitre that the high priest wore because that mitre would consecrate the high priest to the Lord. It was part of the holy garments. It was part of the what's called the golden garments of the high priest. And I have done a teaching on that. I don't know if it's available on these channels or not. I do know that it was on my YouTube channel and may still be up on that channel. But it's called Holy Crown. So I see this, this crown of thorns that he wore the first time as even possibly being in correlation with that Holy Crown. But now, at the second coming of Jesus, he is honored with many diadems, and he is worthy of every single one of them. He is the king, the highest, with his everlasting kingdom and domain. It's interesting that we find here, he also has a hidden name, a name that no one else knows besides himself. Now we are told, and it's revealed to us the name, that he is called the Word of God, and he also has the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, revealed to us. But could this be speaking of another name as well that is hidden? It simply made me think of all the mysteries that have not yet been revealed about our Lord that speak to us about the vastness and the unsearchability of God. You know, when we search the Lord and we seek him out, he reveals himself to us. Yes, he does. Oh, but beloved friend, there's so much more. There's so much more. And that's why David would say these words in Psalm 27. One thing I have desired, and that will I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord and to behold the beauty of the Lord. His ways, his riches are unsearchable. His wisdom is unsearchable. He is so vast. He is called the mystery behind the veil also. He is beautiful and far beyond anything that we can ever imagine as yet. The half has not yet been told. There's still more to be revealed. There's still more to know about him. And I believe that's why Paul in Philippians chapter 3 says, I'm leaving all of this, all of this I count as rubbish for one reason, to know the superiority of the excellence of Jesus Christ, to know him, to know him. Hallelujah. He is the reward. Here in Revelation 19, we see his honor and his officially being installed or declared as king, even with these many crowns. I want to close out by reading a few final passages to you, because this passage in 11 through 16 is referring to this very time that Jesus spoke about. And I want to read from Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 and 30. You will also find this in Mark chapter 13, verse 24 through 26, and in Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 27. Matthew 24, verse 29 says this, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, 
The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Hallelujah. The entire world will see it. The entire world will see him coming with power and great glory, coming as the conquering king, the victorious one. Daniel spoke of him in this way in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Oh, beloved friend, this is King Jesus, the one and only who is crowned with many crowns, many kingly crowns, many diadems, and worthy of every single one. He is coming with great glory as king with these many well-deserved diadems. Praise be to God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.